Um, today we're in part three of a sermon series called Anchored Down, Built Up. Anchored Down, Built Up. And we've used this phrase, we're going to stick it on the screen, it's kind of been our truth statement, foundation phrase for the series. I want you to see it if you're brand new to our series or a good, good reminder for those of you who've been with us. Storms expose what your life is anchored to and built on. All right, you can write that down. We'll just kind of build off of that today. Storms of life expose what your life is anchored to and built on. All time, every time, all day, every day. They just do. And um, so as you're looking at that statement, just to kind of give you like some real life for me, obviously because of the role that I'm in, man, I get to walk with a lot of people through a lot of different things, um, some good things, a lot of not so great things. And uh, I've got some friends, um, acquaintances even that I'm walking with right now, a number of them in different situations. And uh, there's really two different crowds that I'm walking with, just to be honest with you. Um, there's one crowd, and man, they are, um, it's a group of people that are, they're building their life on Jesus, okay? They're not perfect, um, but man, they're pursuing him, they're chasing after him, um, they're trying to live life in scripture and in community and growing together and walking that out. And uh, you know what that doesn't exempt them from? Uh, doesn't exempt them from the brokenness of life. And uh, they're still dealing with stuff, okay? Because life still comes at them. And uh, some of them are walking through divorce and loss and pain and family tension and all those things that maybe a lot of you are dealing with. Um, but I'm just saying because they have built their life on, on Jesus and they're aiming to walk that out, um, man, they are, they are enduring. They are persevering um, with a tangible perseverance. Um, there's another group of people, um, probably a handful of people I'm walking with, and they are walking through well, guess what? Similar storms, because life's the same. It's broken. And uh, they, they are not, all right, for some reason or another, they're not building their lives on the foundation of Jesus. And can I just say, like, it is, it's almost tangibly different, okay? Um, because when the winds and the storms of life come, guess what it does? It always exposes what your life is built on or anchored to. And uh, so, man, our hope in this series is that you just kind of hear that, like storms in life, it's not a matter of if, okay, but it's just like when and how and how long. Um, but our hope, in, as we talk about God's word in this series, is for all of us, wherever you may be, whether you're like, I'm in a storm, I'm not in a storm, you don't know what's coming next week, is that we would all understand what does it look like, is it possible in 2023 to build our lives, to pursue Jesus in such a way that we're like, we're anchored down, we're building up on him, so that we don't just like white knuckle it, hold on through the storm, but so that like as it comes, because it is coming, that we would actually stand. Like there would be confidence because our hope is not in this life, but it's an eternal foundation in the person of Jesus. So, okay, everybody on board with that? That's what we're going to talk about today again. Um, if you have a copy of Scripture, go Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2, so that's New Testament, second half of your Bible. Um, that's where we are in this entire series. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, uh, man, welcome into our gatherings. We just put Scripture on the screen wherever you're joining because we think it matters, and we're going to talk out of that. As you turn there, um, just a quick reminder, like I gave you last week, uh, we're kind of walking out this spiritual practice or discipline, if you will, during this series. Uh, we've just labeled it the 111 prayer challenge, okay? Uh, real complicated in the name, uh, but it just means that we're, we're all inviting you like individually, but yet together we're doing it. Um, just, man, identify one thing in your life. Um, you can pray for more if you want to, but you mess up the challenge, okay? Because then it'd be like 211. You can't do that, all right? But we're praying for one thing, or at least one thing, for at least one minute at one o'clock every day. And some of you have heard that, or you're hearing that now. You're like, oh, that's silly. I don't want to do that. Well, I mean, here, here's why we do that. Why we do that? Well, because we said week one that a disciplined faith is actually a faith that stands firm, okay? Hear, hear me, like, you, you can't be lazy in your faith, 
And so this is one simple practice that anybody can do to go, God, I trust you, and, and you go first. And so I'm going to walk this out in a disciplined way. I'm going to just pray for one thing, all right? And I uh, heard a cool story this week of a lady who she set a reminder on her phone. A lot of you have done that. And uh, so she's been at, like, lunch meetings and appointments and stuff, and her reminder goes off. And those people that she's meeting with are like, what's, what's that about? And so it's really cool. She's gotten to use that opportunity just to pray for one minute, okay, to trust God, uh, as a witness and a testimony to say, hey, let me tell you about a God that I can trust and I can pray to. So cool stuff. You're invited into that. one 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 challenge. Uh, if you've missed the last three weeks, we're going to do it for at least one more week. You can do it for the rest of your life if you want to, okay? But we're just doing it within this series because it kind of helps us, all right? So today, here's what we're doing. Three verses from Colossians 2. Just three verses. Three hours for three verses. That's going to be good, all right? Um, some of you who are newer are like, is he serious? No, he's not serious. He's not serious. I like to eat too, okay? So we're going to get there. Hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk today about what does it look like to live in victory, all right? Um, not to live for victory, but to live from victory. If you're tracking with me, what does it look like to live a life of victory in the midst of the storm? Is it possible? Well, I think Colossians gives us some hope. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, let's pick up what Paul wrote. Uh, remember, Paul wrote from prison to a people that he'd never met before. Here's what he wrote, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now, let's pause right there. Paul starts verse 13, this kind of in-your-face statement. Like he says, when you were dead in your sins. Now remember, he's writing to the Colossian believers, and he just starts with this in-your-face statement, hey, you bunch of sinners, okay? And in essence, he's writing to you and me going, hey, you bunch of sinners. And I'm just saying, like, that's pretty bold, all right, for you to look at somebody and call them sinner, unless you're right. And uh, see, what Paul knew is he knew, knows that all of us, himself included, are born into this life with this incurable condition of sin. So what I'm saying to you today is your greatest struggle and mine is a sin problem. Um, the greatest thing that's causing all the brokenness in the world, wherever you're scrolling, watching, hearing, guess what's at the bottom of all of that jacked up stuff that we're trying to fix with policies and laws? It's a sin problem, Okay. And, and we've all got that issue. Um, I love how our kid life ministry for our first through fifth graders, they define sin like this. They say, um, sin is anything you think, say, or do that displeases God. All right? That's like elementary level, but sometimes we need an elementary level, right? And they add these really cool motions. They say sin is anything you think, anything you say, or anything you do that displeases, incomplete past, all right, displeases God. God. How about that? Okay. So just for fun today, all right, we're going to do that together. I just taught you the most. Yeah, everybody. Okay, here we go. You ready? You got it. All right, you're quick learners. I got so much confidence in you. At home, we see you. All right. I don't see you, but I see you. Here we go. Ready? Sin is anything we think, anything we say, or anything we do that displeases God. Cool. I just want to see our guys do it. All right. I just want to see a guy. If, hey, if I really want to get you, I pull my phone out. All right. And we could have posted it, but I didn't. But you know what? You won't forget that. And now your first grader, if they're in kid life, they already know it. So now you're on their level, right? We're talking the same language. See, sin is the incurable issue that, that all of us have. But here's the thing about sin. Watch this. The thing about sin is that um, we are a fix-it kind of people, aren't we? Right? Like, man, you just give me a problem and I'll fix it, okay? Some of y'all, I know, some of y'all think that you could solve most of the world's problems with a roll of duct tape and a pocket knife, okay? And uh, we're really grateful you're here. You can't, but okay, but we're really grateful you're here. Um, but here's the thing, like, in that, that flesh nature in us, it's just like fix it, solve it, make it better. Um, we carry that over into our sin problem. And uh, we think, well, if I could get these things right in my life, then I would feel better about myself. 
um, or God would accept me more. And so let me give you just a few things that like I just see um, in our culture that people try to fix the sin problem with. Um, how about this one? Let's just go for number one. Some people try to fix sin with religion. They do. And uh, we're in the depths of the Bible Belt culture, right, where everybody loves God and everybody goes to church, supposedly. Um, but a lot of people try to fix sin with religion. And really what that looks like is that just looks like, man, I go to church or I call this place my church. Um, I go do all the churchy things. I go to Sunday school or kickball and Kool-Aid and VBS and you know, make great things, okay? But as we said last week, you can, do, you can go to church and you can do a lot of churchy things and you can miss Christ in the middle of it all. Um, that's really dangerous, in fact, in our culture. But you know, what, you know what religion is when we try to fix our sin problem with just religion, surface level religion? is really what we're trying to do is we're just trying to make ourselves look better on the outside. Okay? It's kind of like a mask that we put on. Um, and just to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit, if you've tried religion to try to fix your sin issue, I'm not saying it's you, but maybe you have, or maybe you know somebody, or you got a grandkid. You know how that typically goes in the South? You ready? This is how it goes a lot of times. Um, man, you grow up in church, right? Like you got the perfect attendance Sunday school world uh, award in third grade. Okay, got the little you know red stickers and the gold one and the blue one. You know what I'm talking about? All right, and then you did D now and True Love Waits and you cried at the campfire and like you did all the stuff. Listen, great things. Okay, I did all that stuff. But do you know what happens? Watch this. Here's what happens. About late high school, you get that driver's license, right? Or college age for some of us who did that, or young adult. When right when you have all of life figured out, at 18 to 22, right? Um, a lot of times then people, they grow away from the things of God, and they chase after whatever, okay? You fill in the blank with whatever would fulfill them, or like, man, I'm independent now, mom and dad, grandma, she don't know, so I'm going to go do my thing. You know how it works? Watch this, because I've watched it now for a couple of decades. You know how that typically works? You ready? For those who, who fall into that, and I'm not saying that's you, but I'm just saying there's plenty, um, mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s, you know what happens? They come back to church. You know why? Because they got kids. You know how that conversation typically goes in the hallway out here? You ready? They look at the preacher and they go, well, we got kids now, so we're going to try to get back in church because we want to make sure we raise them right. Okay. Listen, that's commendable. If that's you, like, listen, I'm not throwing shade. I'm just saying that's how it typically goes. Because, listen, we knew what was right, but we pursued our own thing. And you see, if, you, if you're just trying to fix a sin problem with religion, here, here's where you might fall. You really kind of begin to just think, well, deep down, well, God will love me when I get my act together. Or he'll love me when I get my family together and my kids behave more like this or fill in the blank. And uh, you start thinking, well, if I could just stop cussing or drinking or whatever moral sin that you would put on that, um, if I could just do that, then God will accept me and I'll belong more and he'll, he'll be more satisfied with me. And so religion is really, if you're just playing religion, there's a lot of people in our culture who right, are just playing religion. They're just trying to put a mask on a sin problem. And I'm just telling you, like, that'll never fix it. It won't, because you know what it becomes? It becomes behavior modification and not life transformation. All right, and so we're, we're a house trying to pursue Jesus to change our lives. So that's one. Um, other people try to fix their sin problem with what I'll just call self-improvement. Um, and so self-improvement, it's kind of like this. The self-improvement route, people think, well, a thinner healthier, um, more put-together version of themselves will help them find fullness of life, right? Ever been there before? Um, and the reality is, listen, the reality is if you achieve every goal that you set, okay, and I'm a goal setter, if you achieve every goal that you set, it will never fully and finally satisfy. You'll keep having to make more New Year's resolutions. <laughs> and uh, so sometimes in this self-improvement mindset, you know, what, you know what we begin to do? 
this idea that well, if I just get better at my hobby, whatever, hunting, golf, whatever it is, okay, or my job, my career path, or whatever I'm studying, if I can get better, if I can be towards the top of the line of that, um, then there will, like that empty void in me will be a little more fulfilled because I will have succeeded. And listen to me, nothing wrong with working hard, all right? Do good at your job, all right? Have a hobby. But listen to me, at the end of the day, those things will not fully and finally satisfy. Okay? But hear me say, they might for a season. You with me? They might for a season. Okay, You do it right. They might for a season. But I'm just saying at the end of the day um, that I'm going to be a little better, it doesn't fix that core issue that all of us have. So some people try religion. Some people try self-improvement. Um, let me give you, I'm going to give you two more. Other people try to fix their sin problem or maybe the shame of their life. I'll just say it this way, with more stuff. Are more things of the world, right? And we're, man, we're privileged to live in America where we all got a lot of stuff. We're actually all really rich, whether we realize it or not. Um, but these people, they look for, if I could find the newest, shiniest things of the world that would help me look a little bit more like that demographic of people that I work with or that group of people that are, I follow on Facebook, right? Um, then like a little bigger house or a little newer car. It doesn't have to be a brand new car, but like newer car so that the guys would see this truck and not that truck, right? Or a little better outfit or, I mean, fill in the blank, a little bigger salary, okay? Listen, nothing wrong with working hard. God provides for us. But I'm just saying at the end of the day, guess what? That merry-go-round comes to an end too. Always does. I promise it does. I'll give you some stories. And that person, do you know what? Those people who try to fix the sin problem with a um, a more stuff thing. You know what they're believing? You ready? They're believing that something temporary is going to fulfill and fix an eternal need. And as Grandpa used to say, square peg don't fit in a round hole. Okay? So some people, they try to fix the sin problem of their life with more stuff of the world. I'll throw one more out. There's a lot more, but one more. Um, a lot of people try to fix the sin problem of their life, that emptiness, that brokenness, that void, with relationships. <clears throat> you see that? Have you been that person? A lot of times, like sometimes it's friendships, but how about this one? A lot of times it's like romantic love relationships because he sees me, she accepts me, I belong with her, he gives me warm fuzzies, and so like, therefore, listen, God, God created us for relationships, okay? He, he hardwired us for love. It was his idea. Like he's the one who made it, but that's how we go, if I could just become the one or find the one that God wants me to have, right, then life would be finally fulfilled. Think about this. Like, we're a more, you've heard this, we're more connected generation, especially through social media, than ever before, like ever before in history, but yet there are more, more people who are lonely and depressed than ever before, right? Some, some people, some of y'all got three eHarmony accounts, a Farmer's Mingle account, <laughs> a Tinder app, a Bumble app, and you mixed in a Christian Mingle just because Thought God might be smiling on that one, right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, what happens for a lot of people? Still lonely. They're still lonely. Why is that? Why is that? Well, here's why. You ready? Because guys and girls and men and women make terrible gods. They just do. God created marriage. Like it was his idea. It's his covenant. And when it's done right through him, holy cow, what a great gift. But the moment that you expect your husband or your wife to meet all those expectations and desires and stuff that you have, guess what? You will crush them with your expectations because they, they, can't, they can't fulfill all that. They were not designed to. You're created to be loved and pursued and belong in a holy God. And quick note for all my single people, okay, this is free. Guess what? Um, if you start dating someone that causes you to become less engaged with church and spiritual community and the things of God... Tell them that your preacher said, 
in quotes, they probably ain't the one. Just saying. All right, that's free. Guess what? You know what Grandpa also used to say? It's a lot easier to pull somebody down than it is to pick them up. And man, I, I just say that. I throw that in there. You're like, that's your opinion. Well, I'm just saying I, I hate, it burdens me, our staff team, to watch people just get picked off because of how he or she made me feel. Um, and ultimately, I'm just saying that relationships, God created us for them. But when they're not done under God's design, okay, listen to me, they won't fix the sin problem of your life. They just won't, okay? Now, maybe you've tried. There's a lot more things I could list out. But maybe you've tried or maybe you're sitting here today and like you are trying some of those things that I listed or maybe something else. But the truth is sin, the deep need, the deep depravity that's in us is a problem we can't fix. In fact, Colossians 2 that we read a while ago, Paul says it's, not, it's a lot worse than just a problem that we can't fix. It's actually an effect that we can't reverse. What you mean? Well, verse 13 says you were dead because of your sins. You know what our culture says? Well, sinner, sin is what makes me bad. Like some of you didn't want to come to church, to our gathering today, or like for the first time, or whenever you came for the first time, you're like, I don't know if I can go to church because I got all this sin in my life, and I'm, I'm bad, so therefore I'm not as good. I'm going to sit on the road, and everybody else is going to be more like Jesus, and they're going to worship Jesus. Listen to me. Sin don't make you bad. You know what sin makes you? Dead. Guess what everybody else on your row is? Dead. Okay? Sin doesn't make us bad. Sin makes us dead. Sin separates us from God's plan, from God's purpose, and that makes us spiritually dead. Check this. Sin makes us dead, and because dead people, last time I checked, are horrible at fixing things, <laughs> sin then causes us to feel defeated. Because we're dead people trying to fix things that we can't fix. That's why, you know what? That's why you tried religion, but the religious routines didn't change the desires of your heart. You were just trying to change that behavior, as I said a while ago. And you're not trying to change your heart. That's why you tried self-improvement, get it together, be a healthier, thinner version of yourself, put together your work. Listen, but you, you never met all your goals. That's where you're were, you were never fully satisfied. You tried acquiring more stuff, but you can't get enough. You tried chasing relationships, but you still felt lonely and empty on the inside. Why? Because sin makes us dead, and dead people can't fix things. Sin, therefore, always leaves us feeling defeated. And if some of you are really honest today, that's maybe how you would describe your life. You wouldn't say it out loud, but you're living in a marriage today feeling defeated. You're going to a workplace feeling defeated. It's that relationship with your kids because they won't behave like you want them to behave and they're causing all this tension and costing you money and I mean just like you fill in the blank whatever your thing is it leaves you feeling defeated and let's be honest defeat is an overwhelming feeling that controls your mind your attention and even your life like you're sitting here today but it's hard for you to be able to focus because man defeat and just what's going on in your mind defeat can often leave us feeling like there's no way out but you know Sometimes the road to victory starts with defeat. Right? It's kind of sound like a motivational poster there, but isn't that how it works in sports world, right? Some of y'all, like the team who won nothing the year before somehow ends up in the championship. And so I thought about that this week. Reality is that's kind of like our spiritual journey, right? Because scripture tells us where do we start? We just said we start dead in sin. We start in defeat. But there's good news today, okay? It's been a lot of bad news so far. But there's good news in this passage. So go back, Colossians 2, verse 13. Here's where it starts turning. Let's start from the beginning, read to the end. When you were dead 
in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, the old life was still on you. Here's what happened. God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave us all our sins. Paul says we were all in sin, which made us dead, but God made you alive in Christ. All right? Thought you might get a little more fired up than that for, okay, that like life-changing promise. But here we go. Let's try it again. Okay. You, you feel that? Man, some of the most powerful words in all of Scripture that God is a sovereign, holy Father creator who made you and maybe watched you walk away from himself. You ready? He came in and he made you alive in Christ. He, he resurrected you. Now, notice what it doesn't say. Let's combat culture. It doesn't say your church attendance brought you to life. It doesn't say your attempts to quit cussing, drinking, change your moral behavior brought you alive. It doesn't say your family background, mom and them, daddy was a deacon, mom was a Sunday school teacher, your financial stability. It didn't say those things brought you to life. No, it says the opportunity to move from life to death, from dead to alive, was all God's work. That it was his pursuing of us. We had nothing to do with it, and the opportunity is fueled by his love and his mercy and his grace. Let me give you a verse. You know this verse, but look at it again today. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved or you have been rescued through faith. And here's the phrase, watch this. This is not from what? Yourselves. It is a gift. It's a great gift of God, not by your work so that no one can boast. Scripture says on our own, we don't have the power, the knowledge, the experience, or the maturity to overcome a life of defeat and sin. We can't get ourselves out of it. You know how I know that? Because a whole bunch of us have tried, me included. So here's what Paul's saying. Catch this. It's not a belief in yourself, but it is a full surrendering of yourself. And I know what culture says. Believe in yourself and you can do anything you want to. Okay. But let me tell you where I started. It's not a belief in yourself, but it's a surrendering of yourself to let go and to let God step in. His way is better. So here's a true statement. Write this one down. We'll put it on the screen. A life of victory. If that's what we're pursuing today, a life of victory begins with surrender. That's the opposite of what the culture would say. Strive harder, work harder, achieve, be the best. And Paul's saying, no, a life of victory actually begins with giving up, surrendering, letting go. Um, Here's how Paul would also say it. Galatians 2 verse 20. I've been crucified. In other words, my old self has died. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. You know what that sounds like? Surrender. But Christ now lives in me, and the life I live in this human physical body, I'm now living by faith in the Son of God. What's that sound like? Surrender. I'm not driving anymore. He is. And he's the one who loved me and gave himself for me. A life of victory always begins with surrender. But here's the thing. The truth is, for many people, maybe many people listening to me right now, that's your struggle. Like, you, you know how to do the church thing, right? You knew how to smile and walk in today if you're in the building and put on the face and say all the right things. But surrender, that's hard. And I don't know, maybe you have a fear of giving up control. I've been there, done that, and got that t-shirt. Maybe you don't trust God enough that he would be Lord over the plans and purposes of your life. Maybe you're going, there's that one moment he let me down. I don't know that I could sing like a while ago that he's good, he's good. Or maybe for some of you, try this one on. Maybe for some of you, you're not fully convinced that a life of loving and pursuing God is really any better than the life that you've got right now. 
And that's the American misbelief. These are all legitimate concerns, but listen to the truth laid out in the rest of our verses, because here's what Paul does. We're going to use two more verses today. Paul gives us a couple of truths about what happens when we choose to surrender and trust God. Why would I do that? I don't know if I can trust him. What's he going to do? Well, you ready? Here we go. Colossians 2.13. Let's read the end of the verse where we left off. God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave us. He forgave us all of our sins. So here we go. Here's promise number one, the life of surrender, a life of victory, offers forgiveness, okay? A life of victory through Christ offers forgiveness. Can we be just straight up today? Forgiveness, that's a hot topic. We'd rather not go there. Why? Well, think about people close to you. For some of you, like forgiveness is hard because you have trouble forgiving others. You don't even know what he did or what she said or how he handled that. For other, other times, like you, you need to ask for forgiveness from somebody that you did something wrong too, but that ain't easy. And for some of you, it's this. Some of you, you just have a really hard time forgiving you because you know where you've been. And maybe like today, even as I say that, like that was heavy for you because maybe you're in one of those places. And like for you, it's, man, you're trying to figure out how to forgive an ex-spouse that walked you through the mud and then walked out the door on you. I'm not saying that's easy, but you're battling forgiveness. For some of you, you're trying to forgive a parent two decades later because they were not who you wanted them to be or who you expected them to be. Or maybe, maybe for you, it's like you need to ask for forgiveness from a friend or family member for what you did to them. But man, it's really hard to get up that courage to do that. But God's calling you to it. Or maybe for some of you, it's kind of that last thing I mentioned, you you don't think you could ever forgive yourself because of that choice or that season of decisions that you made that you know God's not really happy with. And forgiveness can be, I mean, it's, let's be honest, like it is hard. It's really, it's anti-countercultural. But it's right. And in a world where forgiveness seems really hard, you know what God did? He went first. If you read all throughout Scripture, every time he calls us to do something that we might say is difficult, he goes first. In fact, here's what Scripture says. I'll give you this verse, 1 John 1, 9. Maybe you've heard it. It says, if we confess our sins. There's a big if there, but if we will own, if we will confess our sins, what's God's response? Well, he's faithful, and he's just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Receive this. Forgiveness is perhaps the most powerful truth available for a person living in victory. We all need it. We deeply desire it. And scripture says there's no mistake, no failure of your life, past, present, or future that's too big or too messy for God's grace to cover. And even when others won't forgive you, or even when you won't forgive you, he does. And his grace is enough. See, that's, man, that's the forgiveness that he wants you to know. As you walk in him, a life of victory knows that forgiveness. Now go back to our passage because it tells us that God demonstrated his forgiveness. You go, I don't, I don't know if he's forgiven. Well, here it is. He displayed it in the most public way possible. Colossians 2, 14, second verse of today says, Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us, and condemned us. 
He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Verse 14 says, Jesus, in the greatest act of love in history, did what? NIV says, canceled the charges against us. What, what charges is Paul talking about? Well, he's drawing an analogy. Watch this picture. He's drawing an analogy to a certificate of indebtedness. What is that? Well, that means it's a complete list of all of the debts that someone owed towards somebody else. So for the spiritual understanding of you and me today, it would be um, for the entirety of our whole lives, past, present, and future, a list of everything that we've done that's outside of God's plans and purposes for our life. To have that list made. Um, let, me, let me paint the picture this way. It would be like if you um, joined our gathering today, whether you're in the room, online, wherever you are, and uh, rather, you know, first song came up, and rather than, man, we stand and sing, like it just popped up your name across the screen. And all of a sudden, it just begins scrolling the sins of your life. Private, public, known, unknown. And if your life's anything like mine, that list would probably scroll for a while. And you, I mean, like even right now, like you're feeling, what would that be like? Man, the shame, the embarrassment, all the feelings, man, that just come with that. Watch this. And as it's scrolling, and you're probably getting lower and lower in your seat, Jesus walks in, and he walks over to the computer that's controlling the scroll. And he just hits delete. But it's not just that he deletes it, but then he clears off the files and he clears off the hard drive and he empties the trash. He canceled the charges of your and my legal indebtedness. It's the love of our God. Listen to me. That that you felt, and I can just see your faces, like that forgiveness that you felt even in that analogy. Listen to me. He wants you to know that every day. Not just when the preacher gives a good analogy on Sunday. And that's a life of victory. A life that's lived in Christ knows the power of that forgiveness every day. Life of victory offers forgiveness, but it keeps going. Okay, last verse that we're going to look at today, Colossians 2.15. Look at this verse. One of the most powerful verses, I think, in all of Colossians, it says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Here's the third statement. Write this one down. A life of victory gives power. A life of victory in Christ, built in him, anchored down, built up, it gives, offers you and me power. How's that? Well, verse 15, Paul paints this like incredible picture of this battle of good and evil. He makes it almost like visible that happened at the cross when all of the power that Satan thought he had over Jesus was taken in one moment through Jesus' obedient death. You see, not only in that moment did the sin charges against us die, but also the power of the enemy died as well. Catch how Paul would write this earlier in the New Testament about the crucifixion. Watch this verse, 1 Corinthians 2.8. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, in this day, if you've studied any Old Testament, New Testament, you know that the cross was the ultimate sign of what? Of torture. Like it would have been equivalent to today, or more recent, like the gas chamber or the electric chair. 
There was definitely nobody rolling up into the synagogue with the cross necklace on. And there wasn't nobody hanging on their kitchen wall symbol of the cross for everybody who came over to dinner to see. No, you'd been crazy for doing that. Because the cross, listen, was not a symbol of joy, but it was a symbol of torture. It was definitely not a symbol of life, but it was a symbol of sure death. The cross in this day was meant to kill, to destroy. But as Jesus, as Colossians 2 paints it, as Jesus hung on the cross with nails through his wrist and his feet and a spear hole in his side and skin stripped from his back, reaching for his last breath, it seemed that the enemy had won. For everybody watching, the enemy is on top. It seemed that the cross maybe was finally Jesus' kryptonite, but what the enemy did not understand in that moment is that what was the greatest symbol of torture and death was becoming the greatest symbol of life and of victory. And in Jesus' final breath, The enemy was not victorious, but in Jesus' final breath, the enemy actually began to face eternal defeat. A lot of y'all football fans, you know how the game ends, right? Really like it when this is your team, but when your team's ahead and they have the ball at the end, the only thing left to do is what? Run that clock out. So if you've played football before, you know a little bit about the playbook. They have one play for that moment, and it's called victory formation. Know what, happen, know what happens in the victory formation? You've probably seen it. Maybe it's the moment where you walk away from the TV because you're like, game's over with, right? The quarterback goes up under center, which is kind of like a lost art today, but the quarterback goes up under center, right? Takes the snap, and then what do they do? They take a knee. Why? Because what does that mean? Well, that just means the clock's going to run out. What happens in that moment? In the moment of victory formation, what's really happened is the opponent has already been defeated. The game, for all intents and purposes, is over. And the victory has been won. That's the story of the gospel. And that's the hope of a life lived in victory that you and I have been offered. The enemy has already been defeated, Colossians 2. Forgiveness has been offered. Condemnation has been removed. Power has been given. Love and grace grace have been bestowed. And where there was defeat, yes there was, victory has been won. And the irony of the gospel is this, that Jesus' victory becomes our victory. That he fought a fight, he labored in a war that we could not win, And we cannot win. But through him, catch this, he offers to you and me today, he says, I want you to know, I want you to live in that kind of life that's surrendered, but knows forgiveness, and lives in the power of the spirit that's in you that's able to help you stand no matter what storm of life you may encounter. Can we pray to that end today? Sometimes life can feel like being tossed in the waves of the ocean, grasping for something to hold on to. In Colossians 2, Scripture speaks about what it looks like to live a life that is anchored down and built up in truth and hope. No matter where life has you right now, we pray today's time pointed your heart towards what is true and gave you hope to hold on to. We want you to know that we are available and ready to pray for and encourage you as you learn what it means to live life anchored and built up in Him. 
To get a conversation started with one of our ministry team members, you can send us a private message or text your first name to 601-397-6111. We would love to pray for you and walk with you through anything you may be experiencing. You can also find reading plans and other resources to help you take next steps in your faith on our website, www.theexchange.cc. As we close out our time today and prepare to scatter as the church, let's speak out our declaration together. We believe the great exchange took place when Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us so we could know God. We exist to see people exchange their old life for new life in Christ and live out their purpose. Christ's love compels us to exchange. Ideas for truth, God's word is our standard. Selfishness for serving, we will serve others. Pleasing for reaching, we will share our faith. Keeping for dispersing, we will make disciples. Forgetting for celebrating, we will praise God. We are the church.